0: I know Pop's got pedigree and I'm a young rookie, but they're not going to rook us. That's unacceptable. That was unprofessional. My guys dug in that game and earned the right to be in that game, and they did not even give us a chance. Take that for data. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Jesus
1: Christ. Welcome to episode 90 of the Weekly Group Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. And the comments that you heard right at the start of the show were from David Fisdell, the head coach of the memphis grizzlies who was not happy from uh, i guess officiating in game two of their series against the spurs and uh that is kind of lighted a lit a spark if you will underneath the uh, the memphis grizzlies and their fans as they've won two straight games to even that series but uh we're going to talk a little bit more nba here in just a moment as howard beck from bleacher report will join uh, both kevin and hunter here in just a few moments he also is a contributor for nba tv which is a great podcast as well so look for that interview here in just a few moments but uh Guys, uh, before we get into the Fizdale comments, uh, the big storyline that kind of uh, took the sports world by surprise was what happened up in Massachusetts this week. And uh, Aaron Hernandez found dead in his jail cell at, a rocks- at approximately what three a.m. on Monday morning, the same day that the Patriots went to the White House to uh, you know celebrate their NFL championship. Uh, to me, this has to be one of the most perplexing stories in NFL history. I mean, you've got a guy who got a $40 million contract extension who everyone knew about his checkered past. They knew that he had gang ties, but it assumed that he had gotten past that. And, and for the Patriots to give him a $40 million contract, then a few months later, he's kicked off the team for murder, which, you know, it's, it's not like a Ray Lewis murder where you get away with it. It's, <laughs> it, it's like uh, you're put in jail for life. I mean, and then, and then killing himself after... Being acquitted of a, a double homicide mm-hmm. and potentially having uh, prospects to appeal his mm-hmm. Odin Lloyd murder. So, yeah. To me, this is shocking.
2: Well, it's interesting to me because I mean, you mentioned the appeals process not exhausted, yet, so there was still hope there. His lawyer had some comments about saying, hey, we're still in the middle of this, and we were hopeful. Then there was the acquittal for the double murder, which was uh, generally assumed to be the impetus for the murder of Odin Lloyd. He was talking to people about it. Now there's all kinds of wild theories oh, about Especially it. Newsweek. Oh,
3: well, yeah, yeah, <clears> I was going to say, and no one has mentioned the fact that Bush did 9-11 and Harambe and might actually be responsible for an I hadn't days. heard that theory. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's trending on Twitter and um, all across social media media right now. No, but actually I'm really interested to see, you know, apart from the circumstances of his cases, you know, his family has donated his brain to the Boston CTE Center. And so I'm interested to see um, if any of that yields something that might give us some clues on kind of what was going on in his brain at a biological level that kind of led him to some, some of the decisions that he made, see, not that that would lead him yeah, necessarily, but it. Yeah, but but when you so. but when you have damage to your brain, I mean, you got you got problems with the anger management, you've got problems with decision making. All of that can play into this. You know, you, I mean, we're talking here about a $40 million dollar $40 contract. Mm. You know, who who wastes that sort of opportunity? But somebody who is who doesn't have the mental faculties to make a rational decision. I so I th- don't,
2: yeah, he didn't have the mental faculties for sure. But I, I mean, it seems like. It has trailed him his whole life, and it's not necessarily Absolutely. something I would have chalked up. You know, I mean, it could be there could be some brain trauma in you know, the CD, we talk about right. that, but no, I think it, he was just a scumbag. Yeah,
3: I, I I agree. I mean, anybody who's involved with gangs, I mean, that's usually like a lifetime deal for a lot of people, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's part, like you're in, you, you know, you're like you, you like join and it's hard to get out, so I, you know, I'm, I'm you really in a body though. bag, <laughs> yeah, right? Anyways,
1: yeah, sad story. And if, if you look at it, it, you have Aaron Hernandez, his quarterbacks. Tim T. College at Florida, Tom Brady, his head coaches, Urban Meyer, and then Bill Belichick. I mean, he had all of the right influences in his life. I guess he just chose not to listen. Uh, there were some strange reports from Newsweek that said that uh, perhaps some of his murders. Uh, were a cause because of, uh, I guess, a homosexual relationship yeah. that he had or, or that he was bisexual. So there's some weird facts that are kind of emerging. I guess the rumors at this point, not facts. But If he had just come out, he would have done very well for himself. I think that was short-sighted. <laughs> this part. It's, it's, it's also... Kind of interesting because we had mentioned the forty million dollar contract. Now, not all of that was given to him because it wasn't fully guaranteed. Right. Uh, and then, of course, I believe the Patriots were able to recoup some of those losses because of obviously the violent you would hope so. history. But you, it's, it's interesting, Jeremy, that you mentioned CTE with the NFL concussion settlement. Uh, any player, whether they are currently playing in the NFL, played you know forty years ago, whatever, if if they have CTE, if they were found to have CTE, they're eligible for. 4 million dollars. So there's also speculation that maybe he didn't think he was going to get out, maybe his family was in financial issues fighting all of these legal fees. So perhaps he was setting up his family with 4 million dollars uh, in case he does have CT. But I, I definitely Wait, don't hell, think Has the NFL incentivized suicide? Is no. that what? I mean? <laughs> No, it's just it's just part of the legal settlement. No, but but ordinarily, or no, for but, insurance, right? If you kill yourself,
2: you forfeit the benefits, and you wouldn't help your family. Right. This has actually created a situation. It sounds like as you're telling me where you can off yourself and get four million dollars for your family. That's it's kind of a bizarre. Uh, I mean, if you line it all up, you really don't want to have that kind of impact. No, that's and Encourage fair. that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, I think indirectly that's actually an interesting point. I, I never, I, I had never thought about that before. But I mean, as you know, uh, with a lot of these guys that are struggling with the effects of CTE, they do kill themselves. I mean, remember if it was a junior Seau or one of those guys yeah. shot themselves in the chest so he could yeah. donate his brain to avoid damaging right. his brain because he knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's just, that was- it's just
1: sad. And, and I, I was talking to somebody uh, this past week at the Rockets game about uh, League of Denial, and of course mm-hmm. we've discussed that on the show in the past. We've discussed, uh, you know. Um, against football, we've Mm -hmm. discussed concussion. I I, I mean, it really makes you think twice about how violent the sport is, but what is actually going to change? I don't want to get into you know more speculation and uh, how we can solve football with concussions, but to me, the Aaron Hernandez situation is just, it's sad on multiple levels. You know, about football, uh, you know or about, rather,
2: against football, go back and listen to that episode. One of our earlier ones, I can't remember which episode, but Steve Almond, a New York Times bestseller uh, of Candy Freak. He also wrote a book called Against Football. Very compelling stuff, and as we're kind of getting ready for football season, I- I'm forced to think about it again. How will I consume football knowing what it does to people? But boy, what's impressed me lately is talking to high school coaches a lot, um, the verbiage they use talking about how we want kids to be violent we want them to have hate in their hearts you know and they always they always give you the caveat of you know and then be gentlemen on off the field but but on the field we want them to be warriors and uh, and hearing people talk about 16, 17-year-old kids like that going out and trying to hurt one another, that's, uh, you know, it's distressing and it's the kind of mentality you have to have to be successful in football, I think. And again, it just it kind of gives me pause.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kevin had just mentioned Steve Allman. That was an episode that we recorded last March. I believe that was episode 35 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. So go back and check that in the archives. But uh, kind of switching gears here, uh, NFL Draft is coming up this week. Uh, Thursday night is round one, rounds two and three on Friday. And of course, the uh, third day takes place on Saturday. Uh, Texans need a quarterback, and from all the mock drafts that have been coming out this past week, it doesn't look like the Texans are going to take a quarterback. We've we've speculated the top three quarterbacks in the draft are Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky, or Mitchell Trubisky, as he now wants to be referred to <laughs> as, uh, and then also Deshaun Watson, or uh, I'm Pat Mahomes. I there think I go. forgot that name, but uh, Deshaun Watson is not two quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that leaves the Texans with potentially Deshaun Kaiser who made comments this week saying that he's going to be the greatest NFL quarterback of all time, which awesome. settle down. I mean, it's a little bit different than what Tom Brady, you know, said several years ago after being picked in the sixth round, saying it's going to be the best decision that the Patriots have ever made. And ultimately, I believe he was right. A pretty low bar for that, though. Right, I mean, but, for a sixth round to pay off, even a little Deshaun bit. Deshaun Kaiser is a guy that barely completes 50% of his passes. He's a borderline first round pick. I, he's got all the tools. It's just I have mental makeup. His coach, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, suggested that he wasn't even ready to go into the NFL. Did the Texans reach here and take Kaiser? Do they, do they try to take a quarterback in the second round? Uh, what would you do if, if you're Rick Smith? Okay, maybe that's a bad Quit. example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. If, no, no. If, if, if you're the GM of the Texans, not Rick Smith, <laughs> so assuming you have logic, you have a huge need at quarterback, offensive tackle, secondary, maybe a linebacker. What position do you look at in the first round if those top three quarterbacks are gone? Or do you try to trade up?
2: Yeah, I would try to trade up, of course. Yeah, but that's yeah. really not the, the mo. We've heard from a half dozen people over the past couple of months that told us that's not going to happen. That's not the way they do business. And I, I, you know, I get that. I think it's stupid. Obviously, we're not huge fans of Rick Smith, but that's just kind of the way things go. But addressing Kaiser's comments, that's exactly what I want him to say. Now, he's probably not right. We probably won't look back in twenty five years and say he was the greatest. I think we'll look back in three years and say this guy was a bust. Yeah, maybe so. We'll see. But I, that's you talking about his mentality. You have questions about it? That illustrates the right
1: mentality to me. The guy thinks he can be the best, and you know, hopefully. You want work that. At- you don't want a guy to say, I'll be all right. You know, I, if a team takes me, I hope I have the chance to compete and, you know, maybe win the starting job at one point. No, you want a guy with confidence. Yeah. You know, somebody that says, all right, I might be a rookie. I might not be scheduled to start. You're now, not going to rook us. I'm, I'm going to prepare like Dak Prescott did. And if I get my chance, I'm going to shine and not, you know, let somebody come and take that job from me. So I get that. I just don't think Kaiser's the guy, but no, probably not. I, I think the Texans might take an offensive tackle.
3: Yeah, and I was gonna say if if I wasn't Rick Smith, meaning someone who has black magic protecting their job, um, I would probably punt on quarterback and wait until next year. I mean, we have that uh, class coming in next year that's slated to be a little bit. better. And as
1: we talked with Sean Pendergast last week on the Weekly Brew, if you go two and fourteen
3: for the chance to get a uh, <laughs> Sam Darnold, could be worth it. Yeah, <laughs> it might be worth it. Who knows? You know, but the the Texans I, I, as a like as a fan, I I don't. As a casual fan, I can take. I can delay gratification. There are a lot of people, though, that can't. There, right. are, there are some people that which absolutely will not stand for that. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if Bill O'Brien can take it too. I, I, I think Bill I. O'Brien's days are numbered. The NFL schedule came out this past Thursday.
1: It's not easy. I mean, yeah, the way the way it's positioned out for the Texans, they have some very, very difficult stretches of games. And to me, it comes into you know what does the quarterback situation look like? Is Tom Savage going to be healthy during that stretch? If he's not, I, I think we could see the Texans maybe 5-11, and 6-10, 7-9, somewhere in that range. I, I I don't know. I'm not really optimistic about the Texans
3: heading into this season. Right. What, what are the chances that Savage is healthy and beats the odds and takes the Texans to a respectable season? What do you think that does to the team heading into a uh, class of really is, good Is that something
1: that you want though? I mean, do you want to be in the playoffs where you have a pick in the in, in the mid to late 20s? I mean, that's that's the No, thing. If no, if you miss not, the playoffs, you no. have a chance of getting one of those premium first round picks
3: i want the texans to finally do what they should have been doing for the last 10 years and focusing on offense every draft when you have to and they do they don't they consistently don't it's always these like gimmicky defensive picks and it really bothers me yeah we'll, um but no like what like I, what are the chances though you guys think of savage actually making it and taking the texans to a playoff run Next year, I hope it doesn't year? happen. Yeah, this coming year, no, I don't think great. it happens. I, I don't I think, don't it, think happens. it happens. I think, I think the chances are that we're going to get what we want, and the Texans are going to have a bad season, and we're going to have a good pick going into the next. Well, draft. you got to hope.
1: Could, you got to hope that if that happens, Bill O'Brien survives. Yeah, because if you right. have to re- reconstruct this team, mm-hmm. reconstruct the defense, reconstruct the offense. That sets you back another two to three years. Let me ask
2: you: What has Bill O'Brien done to make you think that he deserves to keep his job? Nothing. Like you say, like you better hope, yeah, because change and turnover is always not great. But I don't know; I haven't seen anything from him to
3: suggest that he's the guy we want in place. Well, okay, given, but let's think about the talent he's had. Let's think about the organization he's in. And yeah, I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm saying he had not shown me anything. Like I I don't
2: want to say like I hope we hang on to Bill O'Brien. I think a lot of
3: people are looking at what his time with the Patriots and also what he did at Penn State. He's a quarterback guy. He can develop quarterbacks, and Mm -hmm. I think until if we get him. Results. the kind... Well, okay. If we we'll get him the kind of guy that he can work with and really train up to be a franchise quarterback, is that the kind of Bill O'Brien that we've been looking for this whole time? Yeah, we'll see. And speaking of another Bill O, Bill
1: O'Reilly, who is Jeremy's idol oh, out absolutely. at Fox News. And uh, Jeremy, I, I know you're probably heartbroken about this.
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been approximately 30 seconds since I've uh, watched the O'Reilly factor, So like reruns, of course. And so I, I'm really just heartbroken right now. No, I mean, like, let's get real. This guy's had... Sexual harassment suits last, what, like six to ten years. This has been going on a long time. He's a scumbag. Um, he's a very loud scumbag. He doesn't let anyone else talk on his show, which bothers me. Now, if you're the kind of person that enjoys that sort of entertainment, then I think his show was great. But it didn't really, it didn't really move, move the needle much for me. But I, I think this was a really? long time coming at Fox. Well, here, here, here's what really... Seems right in your wheelhouse. I, 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 Thank you, Kevin. It's good. to, it's good to know that uh, you think so much of me. Uh, exactly <laughs> what I think. Of yeah, I know. Um, no, he. Um, so he. He. he is he not far right enough for you? He's not really right. He's. He's. No, he's, he's, no, kinda, he's, he's very just, much he a just centrist. Hot yeah. Yeah. He's very much. Uh, okay. he's, he's a proprietor in the Bill, sense that he hates women minority. He was a
1: proprietor of fake news before fake news was a thing. Bill O'Reilly
3: is a centrist and an opportunist. He's that's the kind, fair. Yeah. He's the kind of. He's not a principal conservative. He's sort of like a a Donald Trump of. News media. I know so I was they right. They both He's have not sexual assault right allegations. What? <laughs> they both have sexual assault allegations. Yeah, yeah, but I think with with O'Reilly, he was a well, what. What happened was I forget advertisers. I, I forget her name. Or right, started pulling. But it was only because one of these ladies came forward and did not take his payoff. Right, because all of these these suits have been going on for a long time. But Fox and O'Reilly settled them out of court, and they had hush money. Right, like two, right. To, two to four million dollars a piece, whatever it was. Thirteen so, total. Yeah, it was it was quite quite a bit. So. This one lady who she was a guest on his show pretty regularly and she just would not take his hush money because she didn't need it. And so she kept talking about it. And that's what kind of generated this because this has come up a couple of times over the past couple of years. But I'm not surprised this happened. What I'm interested to see is who Fox uses, uses to replace him because he is he he was the guy that was pulling down the big money yeah, for so, Fox. So especially are, under So Hales. they are
1: putting uh Tucker Carlson in his time slot and then they're moving up the five into uh Tucker's time slot. So it's gonna be interesting to see what Fox News is does. There anyone fox
2: news that is not harassing people sexually megan kelly wasn't like, but know, she's bottom. gone now well yeah i guess i was talking about men specifically yeah, but prob- I, w- I would probably be shocked a if it's culture this
3: for the record this happens at like every news network apparently so this is doesn't happen if you see newsroom you know it happens <laughs> yeah oh like, no it, and, w- and newsroom is based on so no I'm, fact, I'm talking right? about like like, <laughs> like the big three cnn msnbc and fox it happens it happens everywhere
1: Yeah. So uh, kind of pivoting over to another topic, uh, we've talked about the sexual assault scandal at Baylor University and uh, Baylor University actually hired a new president uh, this past week, and that is Linda Livingston. Uh, who uh, came from George Washington University. She was the dean of the business school, also spent about a decade uh, in the business school at Baylor before heading to Pepperdine and George Washington. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to start with you because you weren't necessarily impressed with this hire.
3: It's not that I wasn't impressed with it. It just, from from, from the face of it, it sort of looked like one of those things with the and university. you said you're underwhelmed, right? I wasn't underwhelmed. That's a synonym for no, <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't <laughs> underwhelmed. I, I don't know anything about her. I mean, being a Baylor and a Pepperdine grad, I'm, I'm excited to see. Um, That's two straight hires at Baylor. Taylor is made from pepperdine. Is I know that, is it is kind of is, weird. Is that weird. That is strange. Well, uh, don't forget our baseball coach because he true. he also, also came from pepperdine. It's like of... a pepperdine pipeline. It, from it is kind of weird. Malibu
1: to Waco. Why would you want to move to Malibu or from Malibu to Waco?
3: Well, is fixer upper making that big of a difference. <laughs> I, I don't. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, the, I, I think it's dollar signs uh, beyond anything. But no, there is there is nothing that Rashley would want to convince anyone to move from the boo to Waco. Yeah, fair so, point. But um, I, anyways, it's it's not that I wasn't uh, impressed with her. I, I think you know on paper like she's. She's probably great. I just, um, I think what Kinstar, ultimately Kinstar didn't do for the university what it needed, obviously. But I think what what Kinstar brought with him was this ability to kind of manage Baylor's different constituencies. If you're familiar with Baylor at all, you know that they're very good at at what the good old Baptist cat fight. There's a lot of infighting between like faculty, administration, alumni, regents, whatever. I mean, there's there's just, with any kind of private institution like Baylor, there's, there's a lot of infighting. And so what he brought was sort of this, at least on the surface, this ability to kind of calm the waters and if he looked it appeared that he was gonna he was doing that for the first couple of years obviously didn't turn not that well but i just you know I, I say best of luck i mean she's gonna need it you know baylor is the kind of place it's a mess right now it is a mess right now it is a mess and i think that there's a lot of pain on campus there's a lot of healing needs to happen so i, I hope that she's the person that can perform one
1: me. thing that i actually like is of course we had mac rhodes on the podcast the athletic director baylor two two weeks ago uh dr livingston has experience as a division one athlete. She played basketball at Oklahoma state. So I think that it's not why they hired her, but I think it's good f- for Baylor because she understands athletics and what they mean for a university. So I think she's going to hopefully to bring some of these title IX reforms, implement them, make sure that there is a lot of healing done at Baylor. But she also knows that a lot of the success of the university comes through the athletic department and it helps elevate the university on a national level. I mm-hmm.
3: mean, that, that's why Baylor has been relevant the last few years. Well, it's elevated them Royals to a did. national
2: level in a good way and in bad right, ways, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> right.
3: Well, and, and I think to her, you know, she's got the benefit of what I would consider a really good football coach, at least from the standpoint from of what like, we've seen on paper. Uh, of what like. kind of person he right. is. Right, right. Um, and I also think Mac is a really good guy in here in our interview with him. I, I think she's got some good pieces in place to make sure. That she comes into an environment that's at least, um, you know, friendly to her and what she wants to do.
2: Regarding rule, wouldn't you have said the same thing about Bryles prior to all the allegations first starting to drop? He was, he was regarded as a high character guy. People often no, spoke th- first I about don't, his
1: character. I don't think so. I mean, I was at Art Briles's first press conference. Um, I, I was saw him walk into uh, Floyd Casey Stadium into the uh, the Galloway Suite uh, to address probably about four hundred people. Mm-hmm. I, I essentially escorted him in and. The first thing people said about him was he's a winner and he's turned around programs. Look at what he did at Stephenville. Look at what he did at U of H. That was his M.O. He's a guy that changes programs. His M.O. wasn't he's a high character guy that places the value of the students before the athlete. And so I I think that's where I see. I think that's where I see the differences between rule and him. And the most successful coaches I know at the lower levels that I cover
2: uh, tend to be guys that are, you know, process oriented, that have that idea of love. You know, Tom Herman kind of brought it to the forefront. A lot of coaches have adopted that mentality of family. We love each other. Fortunately, the high school coaches aren't
3: kissing their players. I I wouldn't even advocate that starting. But but it's a a good mentality. Yeah. Right, and it's actually I, I was having a conversation with a fellow sports fan, and he, his um, his take on all this. And I think looking at the sort of broader implications of what happened at Baylor is is college football as a whole is it full of Art Bryles that just haven't been caught yet? Yes, and that's really the, the I issue. Think, I, that I think I that's, that's a fair, fair and you know because we 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 talk about. Other coaches with, with issues, you know, we had Tennessee this past year. Mm-hmm. We had some other programs with some stuff that happened, not at the scale of Baylor, but his, his basic thing was, you know, you, you took a coach into an impossible situation and you told him to win. And uh, I mean look at look at Urban Meyer at Florida when he was there. I
1: mean that two thousand eight national championship team, sure you had Tim Tebow as, you know, the savior of the team, but you <laughs> had Aaron Hernandez who mm-hmm. allegedly shot a guy in the face while he was out Florida. <laughs> yeah. You had Percy Harvin, who has so many off-the-field issues. You had the, the the Pouncey brothers, who have had so many question marks. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that is a very fair point. Are there other coaches out there like... Brials that have just gone under the radar.
3: Oh, and I think there absolutely are, and I think this is this whole experience has been kind of a wake up call to me to like kind of look at college football from the macro perspective and look and and see what I mean. There, there's a I forget like a Twitter account or an Instagram account that's basically like Alabama football is the best car, car dealership in the country, <laughs> and it basically chronicles all of the, all of the football players in Alabama that have like Lamborghinis and Hummers. They and, should Ferraris. And, no oh, they absolutely it. deserve it, but. I mean, is the, is that not indicative? I mean, these guys are coming from you know middle class to lower class backgrounds. Like, not are, are, even are, middle yeah, class. Yeah, not even middle class. I mean, are they really? Are they really have that kind of money to do that? No, of course not. They're, they're, it's pay for play. Yeah. So we'll see. Who
2: gives a crap? I don't care at all. Give them all the cards that you can afford to give them. I mean, have the boosters. Do. I, I could not care less, and I hate it when people get busted for that. We're talking about you know things that are real infractions, like human beings are harmed. There's real right and wrong at play. I don't give a crap about the NCAA no, 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 no. But
3: but but it's indicative of like the wider culture of like the rules apply only if you get caught. Right. you know and that's that's the problem so i think going forward it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of culture that that uh Linda yeah, Livingston, Linda yeah. Livingston, and sorry, I almost called Linda Hamilton, like from Terminator. <laughs> 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 Linda Livingston, she would also and, be a great president, right? Uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what kind of culture change that she brings to the university, along with rule and macros. I'm very optimistic. I'm thrilled yeah. about this hire, and it yeah. was the right move and the only move. I
1: think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good move for Baylor University. Of course, she will uh, officially become president of the university. I believe June 1st is when the new calendar year rolls over for the for the university. But uh, guys, we have a uh, great interview coming up here with Howard Beck of uh, Bleacher Report. He's the senior your NBA writer there, Uh, Kevin and Hunter, as well as Matthew McConaughey, actually, (laughs) ask a few questions. And uh, it's about a 20-minute interview, and we think you're going to like it. But uh, if you want to follow our work, you can search for us on social media. Just search Mm -hmm. Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we have some exciting YouTube stuff coming at you here in the next few weeks. We're going to try to launch like a weekly... um, Midweek midweek program yeah. that's going to be about three to five minutes long and we're going to include some highlights some of the big stories that we don't necessarily cover on this show so we hope that you enjoy that and uh you know also subscribe to our website weeklybrewcast.com we've got some great content there as well do we want to tell them about the uh, the milestone that we hit uh, this last week let's, or
2: is it is it gauche it. to brag about it no we, we can brag okay it might be gauche uh well, should i tell them or should you i'm, I'm excited you, you can do it uh 10k it, yeah uh, it, for the 10, first time We've have, we have had some good episodes. We've never really hit that 10,000 download mark, so in just a week, you guys are uh, terrific. We appreciate all of you and, and love all of you. A couple of you have been dumb and said things to me personally, and I don't, <laughs> I'm not super huge into you, but if you're still listening, uh, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm yeah, it, all, it. All, all the nude pictures that you guys are sending me, I, yeah, really, I it's, don't it's appreciate really that. Really I, just, I never asked for those. <laughs>
1: so, But I, I think a large part of that has to do with the guest, the quality of the guests that we've had. Of course, last week we had Sean Pendergast here in studio uh, for about an hour. Great mm-hmm. episode. And then also we have Jeff Van Gundy, who yeah. uh, is just uh, a phenomenal. Phenomenal voice when it comes to basketball. And a, lot a lot of long, good takes in that. Yeah, a too. lot of good uh, takes from both Sean and Jeff and Gundy. Uh, so, you know, we had nearly 10,000 people listen to this past week's episode, and we couldn't do it without you, the listeners. So, if you want to help us out even further, go to iTunes and uh, tell us what you like about the show. Uh, we're at, like, I think 66 reviews yep. right now. So, that's a great way to do
2: it. Leave a review. Also, uh, like us on Facebook. Also, share. If, if you like us on Facebook, you can take when we do a post and it's something you like or you want to share with your people. We do U of H content, we do Houston Sports, all the pro teams, Cal teams, everything. So, there's something there for you to like, if you share it with people,
1: it's great. That's how people get to hear it, General. Absolutely. So uh, we've got another great guest for you. Uh, we try to put out a great guest each week. And the last few episodes, we've had Robert Flores, Mac Rhodes, Jeff Van Gundy, Sean Pendergast. And up now with Kevin Hunter and Matthew McConaughey, Howard
3: Beck. You're listening to the Weekly Brew.
1: Now,
2: uh, we love basketball, and we have a guy on here that loves basketball and is actually synonymous with basketball. I mean, talking about a name that everybody knows, and we are proud to have him. Hunter, a personal friend of yours, if I'm not mistaken, and a guy that you've brought to us and we could not appreciate it more. Uh, who, Who we got, Hunter?
4: We have Howard Beck who has covered the NBA for 20 years, nine of them with the New York Times, where I briefly, desperately passed his path uh, as a you know hungry freelancer in New York City. And then the last four years at Bleacher Report, where he covers uh, the league nationally. Howard, the mensch of all mensches. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us on the Weekly Brew.
0: Thank you very much for the very kind introduction. Great uh, being with you guys.
4: Well, let's just start with the Rockets, Howard. You know, I had thought that going into the series, it was an enti- entirely a mismatch. I think that the comeback yesterday proves that. So I want to kind of get to the fun part, which is, let's just assume Rockets-Warriors. I think they the Rockets have a puncher's chance because they can keep up with the pace. They can hit threes just like the Warriors. They certainly don't have the kind of talent that Golden State has, but what do you think are the Rockets' chances in that series?
0: Well, they're going to have to get through the Spurs potentially first too, um, and, and that will pose a different kind of challenge. And I don't think any of that's guaranteed. I mean, you know, I, I, like everybody else thought that they certainly would plow through the thunder, especially uh, if Westbrook's going to insist on basically being 98% of their offense. That's making them awfully predictable and easy to easier to defend. Um, But the Spurs are going to present a stiff challenge, defensively, a different kind of challenge. And yes, the Warriors, should they get to that point? You know, it's interesting last fall summer, fall, I was working on a story about whether the Warriors, uh, you know, were going to be just simply unbeatable. Like what was, what was a possible hope for anybody heading into the season that they wouldn't just waltz to the finals and to the championship. And in the course of that, I did speak with Mike D'Antoni and, you know, he basically said at the time, and I think, I think at the time he said it, Uh, more off the record, and I'm I'm comfortable saying it because he he and Daryl have both since said it on the record, that it was basically like, eh, we know we can't defend them. You know, we know we can't, you know, do anything to contain, you know, a a team with that much firepower, so we'll just try to outscore them, which sounded ludicrous last September, October when I was first working on this, and which now still sounds, I think, a little far-fetched. I don't think it's possible, but, you know, they've clearly cultivated that as their strategy, not only in the way that, that Mike's deployed his offense and James Harden, but in them doubling down and, and acquiring the Williams at the deadline, uh, because Hey, why not one more three point shooter? I mean, that that's clearly their, their goal. And they, you know, they, they later stated it basically on the record, like, you know what, we're just, we're, we're, we're you know, you give us a shot, uh, you know, to just get out there, do what we do. We're, we're comfortable just trying to outshoot them. Um, I don't know if that's reasonable because the Warriors also have one of the best two deep defenses in the NBA. And so they're, they're not going to give you a lot and Harden is a handful and that offense is dynamic, but uh, you know, if I thought, you know, if I'm going to, um, you know, lean one direction, it's going to be toward the team that actually might slow up the other incredible offense occasionally. And that's, that's what the Warriors can do. And I also just think that, that, you know, the, the task of trying to contain Durant and Curry simultaneously, is, 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 you know, or, or even slow them up a little bit is too much for any team. So it's no knock on the Rockets. I just, you know, and it's an interesting strategy to basically just like give in on one part of it and say, no one's going to stop them anyway. So you might as well just try to outshoot them. But um, you know, it's a great experiment. I can't wait to see it. I hope I, I kind of hope it happens. I mean, I don't care, you know. Ultimately, who's in the conference finals? But that particular matchup would be a lot of fun to see, just to see how far that experiment can be pushed.
2: Yeah, certainly. You talk about uh, a lot of people have made a great deal about Mike D'Antoni coming in. How how much uh, the Rockets exceeded? I think their Las Vegas uh, win total this season, which I, I don't know if that. Total accurately reflected the way people sort of perceived them. Were, were you surprised by how effective the team was? We already knew the off-season moves. Lou Williams was the only mid-season move of any consequence. Really, Did, was it surprising to you to see them play the way they are and be as effective and competent and, and honestly fun to watch as they have been?
0: I don't ne- necessarily put a lot of stock in, in the Vegas over-under numbers on win totals, however. In this case, they lined up with, I think, what most of us around the league thought. I mean, nobody thought much of this team after a 41-41 and season. And, you know, your only other player who's been an all-star, Dwight Howard, you let walk. You bring in Mike D'Antoni, who, you know, I mean, while I've always been a fan of Mike's, there was a lot of skepticism around the league that that was the right move. It was, you know, the thought was, well, they need a defensive coach. And, I mean, you guys know you're in Houston, and you know what the backlash was there. And, you know, so, and, and besides that, I'd seen what happened to Mike in his last couple of stops with kind of, you know, uh, you know, stubborn kind of single-minded scores in Carmelo Anthony and Kobe Bryant. And, you know, James Harden is a little bit in that, in that mold. Now he's, he's more of a passer than both of them, but still, you know, it's, I wasn't sure given how things went for him with, with the last couple of stars he worked with, I wasn't sure how that would click between he and James. And it's, it's been spectacular. They took huge risks in signing uh, Gordon and Ryan Anderson. I mean, it looks great now, but let's not you know overlook the fact that those guys were both coming off of multiple years of injuries and they spent a boatload to get them. There was no guarantee there. And they come into a season with now just one established star and a bunch of role players and a coach whose last couple stops didn't work out so well with a 41-41 team. Nobody saw this coming. And all credit to... James Harden, to D'Antoni, to Daryl, to everybody. Um, this is one of the more uh, unlikely or, or just, you know, stunning turnarounds in the last few years. And it's been a lot of fun to see. So, you know, that's, there There was, there was, you know, no, nobody saw this coming. And, you know, that I, that's, that's, that's what's made it fun.
4: Since I may have been a bit presumptuous about the Warriors matching up with the Rockets, let's just be like right on the nose on this. Do you think the Rockets will beat or they will lose to the Spurs?
0: Um, I You know, because it's not right in front of us, I haven't really looked that closely. Um, I, I think it's, it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be tough. I, and I, I don't think either team has a clear edge in that one. They're very different teams. Um, I haven't looked recently at what the, the you know, the season series, how that played out. Um, I wouldn't, it's, it's not a gimme. I think that, that, you know, you, you take Kawhi Leonard and decide to have him just shadow James Harden, assuming he doesn't get into immediate foul trouble with, uh, you know, uh, Harden's <laughs> little bit of trickery. Um, Kawhi Leonard might be the one guy that, that could, you know, really, uh, bottle him up enough to throw that offense out of whack. Maybe it's a theory. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't bet on it either. Uh, So no, I'm not. I'm not ready to pick that series that we haven't quite gotten
2: to yet. When you talk about that series and the matchups there, obviously everybody was kind of eyeing this Russell Westbrook, James Harden. You know, potentially two MVP candidates, the top two facing off against one another. When you talk about Kawhi's next, he was one of those as well. You know, he is notable for his two-way play. He's often referred to as the best two-way player in the league. I think James Harden deservedly is often said to be the most effective offensive weapon in the league. I wonder. I'm not going to ask you who should be MVP because everybody's talked about that. Ad infinitum. But but I, what I want to know is is Kawhi's value uh, uh, too low? Do people undervalue Kawhi and what he does defensively? Or is defense really not as valuable as I think it is? Because I sort of have a defensive mindset and I love watching guys defend hard, but, but is the league just headed in a different direction?
0: If you look at, at historically guys who have won MVP or guys who are just elite offensive players or guys who are classified as top five to ten players, what you'll find is the vast majority of them. It's because they're at the top of the, of the leaderboards in scoring or maybe scoring in assists, scoring and rebounds. They're great scorers. And then some of them end up being very phenomenal in both directions. Scottie Pippen was great both directions. Kobe in his prime, when he cared uh, to expend that energy, was, was really very good defensively. Gary Payton was you know, a great two-way player. Chris Paul's a two-way player. But there aren't a ton of them. A lot of guys who are great scorers like Harden and Westbrook don't really give you much, if anything, at the defensive end. They're not going to shut down their man. They're not the guy that you're going to hang your hat on, or say we'll, we'll put on the the other team's best player. Um, you know, Steph Curry, same thing, two MVPs in a row. But you know, no one, none of that was because of defense. So what Kawhi Leonard has unique um, for for today's NBA because he is a dominant offensive player, even if it's not thoroughly recognized by everyone, and he is a dominant defense, defensive player. And the problem we have these days when it comes to the MVP discussion or rankings or anything else is that we still don't know how to quantify defense well enough. It's really easy to look at the leaderboards and say, this guy averages 26 points a game. This guy averages 29 points a game. Um, this guy's you know, X, averaging X number of assists. It, it, defense, we just don't have that one uh, all-in-one metric. And there are some out there, defensive RPM and you know uh, any number of other ways of, me- of trying to measure it, but none of them quite capture it. And it's not as, as simple or as easy to, to grasp um, or to cite as points per game. So Kawhi Leonard is, is thus underrated, except by people who really watch the game closely and watch it a lot. And he also lacks a lot of just the, the flash and the, the spectacle that Westbrook in particular brings to the game, and even Harden to an extent. So, you know, it's it, the NBA. Entertainment matters. And, you know, there's a showmanship that has always been uh, in, intrinsic to this game and that has always defined the stars who are, are the most charismatic. Showmanship is a big part of it. And Kawhi, the, as a, being the, the perfect spur that he is, is very understated. And there's a lot of flash to his game itself, but not his personality. So, um, yes. He's underrated. Yes, he should be better appreciated for his defense and and the complete package that he brings to the table. And no, you didn't ask, but he was second on my ballot behind Harden. (laughs) I had Westbrook third.
2: I like that, actually. That is, if I had a vote and nobody's clamoring to give me one, that's exactly where I would put it, honestly. So I'm... Uh, I, I do believe in that. I think maybe we see eye-to-eye eye, uh, in terms of what who should be MVP here. But So you had, uh, I regret that I haven't listened yet. It is actually in my podcast queue, the full 48. I'm looking very, very much forward to it, particularly the episode with Adam Silver. So I know you had the commissioner on the podcast. There are a couple of big narratives uh, surrounding the NBA. Uh, players resting when healthy. You know, LeBron's been guilty of it uh, in years past. Kevin Love, Kyrie, uh, Steph Curry. There have been guys that have done that. That's been a topic of discussion. I think the All-Star game was disappointing to a lot of people. Um, I think there are discussions about the the league, uh, the game's taking too long. You know, try to fit them into a two-hour... There are a lot of things people are talking about in terms of how you want to change the league. What's the top priority for the NBA right now in terms of continuing to grow its brand and continuing to be successful and, and, and being known?
0: I don't know exactly how Adam would answer that. That's not, you know, an area we got into specifically... I, you know, I suspect that if you said, what's the league's top priority, uh, if there were one specific thing, I think it would probably be the continued growth around the world, their investments that they've made in China and India and the international, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, basketball camps or, or, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how they uh, what the, the right word is for it, but they're, they're, they're creating these, um, sorry, it's a bit of a traffic issue here. Um, I don't know if you guys are picking up all the honking, um. They're, they're, they're doing these basketball academies. Academy is the word that was eluding me. Uh, these basketball academies around the world. And so I think trying to, you know, continue to help the game grow around the world so that you've got this, you know, uh, engagement at all levels and great prospects then coming out of a lot of those countries um, and continuing to just, just, you know, penetrate those other markets. I mean, that's a huge part of it on the business side. On the basketball side, you know, the game I think is in a pretty good place. You know, uh, offense is up the the uh, you know aesthetic appeal of the game I think is has never been better um, you've got an, just an incredible array of of stars they, 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 and, and they're they're in all shapes and sizes and I've got a story coming next week that is going to kind of touch on some of this but um, it really is amazing that you know the age we're in right now there are stars of of, of every kind of, of of definition or like I say shapes and sizes like Steph Curry looks and plays nothing like Russell Westbrook, who looks and plays nothing like Carl Anthony Towns, um, who looks and plays nothing like Kawhi Leonard. Um, I mean, it's you've got you know Giannis, who um, I don't even know how to, to begin to describe what Giannis is at, at seven feet, handling the ball and running an offense. Uh, we haven't even seen Ben Simmons yet, and he's going to be a little bit in that mold, although maybe not quite as dynamic as Giannis is, um, and not with the athleticism. So, the game is in a very good place and you know, the, the other things around the edges, you know, Hey, trying to get the all-star game to be a little more interesting again, or, you know, maybe trying to shorten games, um, all that stuff. Uh, the, the NBA has always been really good about tinkering as they go. They tinker more than any other league by far. Um, uh, they're, they're never satisfied with just saying, okay, this is the way the game has been played for 50 years. Let's leave it alone They're They, they don't mind, you know, uh, tweaking and experimenting and, and sometimes using the D league as the testing ground. And, and I'm sure there's more to come.
2: Yeah, I love when they try out new stuff in the D League, and uh, it's like the opposite of baseball. I mean, they're just really willing to make it better uh, and, and try anything to do it. So I, one of the reasons I'm in love with the NBA, and that's uh, that's my favorite league to to enjoy. So the Clippers to me are a mystery. I mean, they seem like they have a collection of pretty solid talent, but they always wind up being somehow less than uh, the sum of their parts. Uh, I, I myself just have a weird bias where I, I even asked Jeff Van Gundy about this, where the you know the team president slash head coach Doc Rivers is both of them. Is that on him? Is that too much power to give one guy and what's the, what's his future with the organization what's the organization's future from like a roster and personnel standpoint
0: have been you know rough for them in general and you know maybe it's coming to an end because Chris Paul Blake Griffin JJ Redick are all free agents this summer and you know maybe they lose one or more um, Doc Rivers I don't like the dual role um, whether it's with Doc or Tom Thibodeau Stan Van Gundy and that's not impugning any of them I just don't think it's a good idea. Um, coaches and GMs necessarily have different priorities. The GM's role is to do what's in the best long-term interest of a franchise. And so that means when you are, you have an opportunity to to acquire a player, you say, well, okay, what's the price? Oh, a future first round pick. Well, you know what? In our five-year window that I'm trying to evaluate, I feel like we might really need that pick because our guys are getting older. So no, I'm not going to give up that pick for say Jeff green, which the Clippers did. Um, and the coach's job is to say, you know, Oh no, we're on a five game losing streak and I really need scoring who's available. Oh, Hey, Jeff green. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think that, that having uh, one person in charge of all of it, um, is, is dicey. I, you, you need, you need the creative tension and the the checks and balances essentially of, those guys being separate so that the coach can tell the GM I need help right now. And the GM can say, well, how much help do you need and what's it going to cost us? And no, I don't think that that's worthwhile because we have to protect our future flexibility or our future uh, ability to draft younger players. So um, not a fan of it. Um, you know, we'll see how it works out in a couple of the other places where it's, where it's happening. You know, Mike Budenholzer obviously has a dual role in Atlanta as well. Um, and, you know, in the case of the Clippers, I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. Doc Rivers has emphatically denied the persistent rumors that he might, you know, pull the ripcord uh, on his own role there. But that rumor had been circulating through the NBA for months about him possibly going back to Orlando with, you know, a complete control as well as maybe a share of ownership. And, of course, Doc, you know, started his coaching career out there years ago. So he has ties. But. Um, he's thrown cold water on that whole thing, and you know I'll take him at his word.
4: Since we uh, only have but a few minutes of privilege left with you, Howard, uh, I want to ask one quick question, and then I'll finish with an even quicker question. Um, our audience really never gets to talk about or think about like the Eastern Conference. Um, I think it's looked really weird, round one. You know what I mean? Um, who do you think is going to prevail out of the East? And if it is the Cavaliers, what do you think is going to be the state of their defense against the Golden State Warriors, who, like, let's just presume they'll be in the finals, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable presuming that the Warriors make the finals, and I'm comfortable saying that whoever comes out of the East is going to lose. Um, you know, <laughs> but but I haven't really felt any differently all season, and the only thing that's changed is that the Warriors have only underscored all the reasons why I and a lot of other people thought they would be shoo-ins. And the Cavs, in the meantime, have done everything possible to undermine anybody's confidence in their ability to repeat. Um, You know, they, they very easily could only be, you know, one and one in their series against the Pacers. They're fortunate to be up 2-0. and the defense is not good enough. You know, it's barely good enough, you know, to, to fend off, you know, the East and it's not nearly going to be good enough to cope with the Warriors. Um, You know, I, I I would always default to, you know, the talent and to, to LeBron James's uh, abilities to rally that team um, a couple weeks ago, I would have said, you know what, maybe Toronto knocks them off, but then Toronto lost game one to Milwaukee, <laughs> you know, and you know, meanwhile, Boston, which I was never sold on, uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're be even more underwhelming than I thought they'd be at down two zero in their series. I mean, it is, it's a mess in the East right now. Uh, I don't think you can look at any one of those teams and say that they are, um, that they are absolutely going to emerge. It's still probably the Cavaliers, but, they have shown the ability uh, this season to, uh, to shoot themselves in the foot, or at least to, to underachieve a bit.
4: Yeah, underwhelming is the word you used. I would use that for the Eastern Conference too. I guess we'll, you know, the, the thing with the Cavs is like, there's this ridiculous narrative of, hey, like, since last season and how the finals went, we can't count them out. Who knows what they're going to do, right? You know, no matter what the numbers say. So we'll let that fall. Um, the last question is really quick. And I actually I have a guest, a special guest, a guest celebrity for you, Howard, that has a pressing question for you. So give me one moment. <laughs> Howard, so good to talk to you. This is Matthew McConaughey. I got, I got a question for you, Howard is it true the rumors that you're going to step outside of sports Rat and work on true detective season three? I know you're a big fan. Is that that any substance to that rumor Howard?
0: (laughs) Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny. You'll have to uh, contact my agent on that one. That's
4: the Howard Beck I know and love, man. All right. uh, Thanks, Matthew. Howard, thanks again for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin and I are super grateful. It's fun to have you. What, um, again, for people who want to find your work, when this podcast comes out, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on uh, a Sunday night. So with that in mind, what will people have available of yours to, to read and then to look forward to, including, uh, please plug your podcast as well.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, so by the time uh, your listeners are listening to this, hopefully they'll be able to see a uh, piece I've done about the Eastern Conference, which we were just discussing, which should be on Bleacher Report by then. And... Uh, our next episode of the full 48 podcast should be sometime in the the early part of the week. We're still, uh, efforting as they say, to, uh, to get our next guest, um, working on that. So that should appear sometime soon. And then, uh, on, I believe it's going to be Wednesday, uh, story that I've been working on for a couple of months. Uh, my next, you know, kind of long form piece. Uh, I hate that term, but you know, that's the only way to say it. Um, on, uh, on, on, a, on a particular, uh, NBA legend. So, uh, so look, 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 look for that one. Uh, spent a couple months working on that. been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that one, uh, Finally appearing, and uh, that is that is what I got going for now. So thank you.
4: Very flattering, Howard, that you would consider me an NBA legend. You're you're really kind. Um, for any for all the listeners, also the podcast is called The Full Forty Eight. Howard does it with Jordan Brenner. Uh, it's excellent. You guys should subscribe. Howard, thank you again, man. As always, um, you're super generous. You're one of the nicest, if not the nicest, one of the fewest nice people at all to uh, look after me. And I was trying to make it. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm grateful that um, you know I can pay you back with effusive praise so thanks man
0: <laughs> there are all kinds of nice people around the nba media but i uh, appreciate that and thanks guys for having me
4: closing time
1: we just had a great interview with howard beck from bleacher report he is the uh, lead nba reporter for uh, that publication puts out great content he's been covering the nba for nearly two decades and has spent time also at the new york times so thank you howard for joining us on the show and uh, kevin i thought you and hunter and i guess matthew a little bit killed it <laughs> <laughs> I think I think everyone knows that, uh, that that's Hunter doing Matthew McConaughey. He does a great Matthew McConaughey. Wait,
3: really?
4: Shocker. It's groundbreaking. No,
3: no. I, I was like, we were really underselling this because we've had <laughs> Matthew McConaughey on the show quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I know. He hasn't retweeted us once. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously uh, Howard Beck is a
2: guy that you know, I read and follow and respect a great deal, so talking to him, I, I was a bit starstruck. I don't know. I don't know if you can tell on the way it came out there, but it was a pleasure to get his perspective on the NBA and, and how things are going. Uh, you know, he gave me some optimism about the Rockets, too. Yeah, it, it,
1: it was also interesting how uh, we didn't directly ask him about his NBA ballot for MVP, but he suggested that he voted Harden 1,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Kawhi 2, uh-huh.
2: Westbrook 3. That's exactly how I do it, and I said that in the interview as well. That's the perfect ballot, man. you got two other slots there. Obviously, LeBron's in there, and then you can kind of take your pick. Isaiah Thomas is a good candidate, I think, but, but really, it's not going to matter as much the way the points add up. 1, 2, and 3 are important.
1: Absolutely, and uh, Jeremy, you were discussing Matthew McConaughey. What does it mean for him to be on the show, or I guess Hunter? I mean, are, are you just kind of confused right now.
3: I'm I, you know I'm I'm really uh I don't know what's going on right now. I'm a little confused. It's not surprising. Um, well, I guess yeah, he's, so. his Kirchen is better. His Kirchner is his best Absolutely. offering.
2: Although you know what he did a really
3: great Doc Rivers a couple episodes ago if you go back and listen I can't remember. I think exactly that
2: was one of his first episodes in yeah. the studio. Yeah well yeah because we called him first right. and then
3: he came in the studio. Yeah Matthew McConaughey is the only person on the planet I'd smoke a joint with. I think he'd be a fascinating human being to like get his like high thoughts. I, I don't think so. I think, I think we get I his high really thoughts all the time, and they're not fascinating. No, that's what I'm saying. I think he'd take it to the next level if you just sprinkle a little little angel dust.
2: He's on
0: very
3: there. hot. If you wanted to have sex with him, I would understand.
0: But we're no, talking about no, intellectual not conversation. Not I don't know well, how this much this he has conversation
1: has, to offer you. has quickly <laughs> gotten out of hand. <laughs> I so, <said> uh, if. <laughs> I didn't say that. I
2: wasn't accusing. Yeah, of it. But,
1: but very interesting week. And let's recap real quick. Uh, Aaron Hernandez dead. Uh, found dead in his jail cell. Uh, Baylor hires Linda. Livingstone as their new president, the first female president for the university. Uh, Astros win another two straight series, do pretty well. You've got some concerns with George Springer maybe having a soft tissue injury at the hamstring, but Sunday they were able to come back from a 4-0 deficit, win an extra innings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Astros are rolling right now in the American League West. Uh, They head to Cleveland probably by the time you're listening to this episode. Also, as we are recording right now, the Rockets are in a uh, tense battle in Game 4 against Oklahoma City, currently leading 2-1. Game 4 is a toss-up, and of course, Game 5 will return here to Houston. I've been watching behind you, and I've seen Russell Westbrook take no fewer than four horrible shots. Like, off the
2: dribble, isolation, nonsense,
1: back to the basket, turn around, like, 15 feet out with the guy all over. What does he doing? You're not surprised. And actually, there is a uh, Ross Bolin, who uh, writes for Postgrad Problems and uh, Total Frat Move, actually had a story this week called Naming Russell oh, Westbrook MVP Would Be a Terrible Example for Your Kids. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, Let's break it down. Oh, well, I mean, it was just kind of funny. I, I, he started with a tweet earlier this week that showed uh, Russell Westbrook showing up to the game wearing whatever outfit he wanted to wear. And it's just... I don't know. I mean, does Russell Westbrook have... Uh, is he going to have a better fashion career than he has an NBA career? I, I don't know. You know, that's actually... They were talking about that on the Ringer, I think, uh, uh, podcast.
2: Bill Simmons is a podcast on the Ringer. Um, he, he had two rappers on who do a show. I don't really know them that well, so I, I need to go look into the background. Deezus and... I need to go look at it. The point <laughs> is, they got into this and in how big fashion is. You know, Connie talks about fashion. It's really kind of permeated, like, um, I don't want to say urban because it's like a stupid racist term, but you know, African-American, like, there, there's a, a fashion and a culture that has really become, obviously the NBA has been sort of uh, entrenched in it for a long, long time, and, uh, and it's a fascinating conjunction. You could see him doing that after he leaves the NBA. But, but, but to his point, naming him MVP, I think, would be the wrong decision for basketball reasons. But he's not a criminal. No. He doesn't beat up people. He's never no. gotten in any sort of trouble. He's a little bit cocky, and he doesn't play I like don't the mind. perfect
1: way. I don't mind that he's cocky. When you can put up 50 a game, average a triple-double for the entire season, granted you're taking away too many shots, getting easy rebounds, you can be as cocky as you want. Sure. Yeah. And the fact that he's kind of doing this this entire season despite Kevin Durant, I think it's fun. Now, I, I, I enjoy watching Westbrook play, but give me a hard name
2: yeah, but be, like, why make it up that it's the dumbest, like clickbait? Like, give me some.
1: <laughs> Who is this guy? I'm going to slam him.
2: Ross Boland, terrible. I'm reading the article, it's terribly written, too. This guy's a moron. <laughs> he's a huge Rockets fan.
1: He's all about James Harden. Okay,
2: that's good. That's, that's fine. But I, I just,
1: I'm all about James Harden. I haven't said anything that stupid about right, MVP. Right, Well, if you want to listen to more Rockets outside of what we do, you can listen to our friends at uh, Houston Rockets at Podcast. Yeah. They're based in L.A. Uh, they, they were at much, the James Harden when he dropped his yeah, shoes. Yeah. You the video? They, they are pretty much uh, covering each Rockets postgame. So should check them out on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. They post out uh, great content uh, there. But also, we had a great episode uh, this week. Uh, Howard Beck joining yep. us. Uh, absolutely love the interview. Uh, uh, Hunter, Kevin did a great job, and uh, we plan to come at you again next week with another strong episode. Uh, we'll recap the Texans NFL draft, what the draft looks like or if they took a the quarterback offensive line. What does that leave us for expectations for the 2017 season? So look for that a little bit more next week. But uh, guys, it's been a lot of fun having both of you in studio this week. And again, if you want to follow our work, search us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Weekly Brewcast. Also subscribe to our website, WeeklyBrewcast.com. And of course, you can follow our own Twitter accounts, Jeremy Pax, at FiestaBear08, Kevin Cook at KMichaelCook, mm-hmm. and Sci-fair Sports, mm-hmm. And you can follow me at Staton on Twitter. But uh, again, it's been another great episode. Thanks again to Howard Beck and Hunter Atkins for joining us uh, this week. And for my co-host, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, my name is Austin Staton. we'll see you next week. And guys, this week, no matter who you are, where you go,
2: or what you do, always remember, they're not going to rook us. Take that for
3: death. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew.